Thank you all for being here this morning, being here in person in the sanctuary, out on the lawn, online. We appreciate your presence with us. We are actually wrapping up a message series this morning, a three-part message series, and we are calling that series Prodigal. And this has been a three-part message series all based on one parable, one story that Jesus told, often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. And we've been spending this time on this, in this one story because it's so loaded with revelation about God and who He is, loaded with revelation about who we are and human nature. And we've been on this journey. We've looked at a couple of the characters in this story. We've seen who these characters represent. And so, just to recap some of the details we've been through so far, that word prodigal, it's not a word we use a lot. That means to spend ex- excessively or lavishly. And so, we've got the story of this son that spends lavishly and wastefully, excessively. And so, uh, that's what that word means. We have a father and two sons in the story. The father represents God. That's easy. Okay? That's an easy one to figure out. And then we've got the two sons. And you could say that the older son represents the Pharisees and the younger son represents the sinners because that's the original audience that Jesus was speaking to. He's speaking to a group of sinners and to a group of law keepers, right? A bunch of rule obeyers and people that had given up trying to follow the rules of God, the laws of God. And so you could say that the older son represents the Pharisees and the younger son represents the sinners. And that would be correct. But in a broader way, these two sons, they represent all of us in the ways that we approach Father God. So we've been through this journey together. The first time that I heard this parable was in confirmation class. Did anybody go to a confirmation class at any point in their life? Wow, you should see what I'm seeing right now. The faces are like, <laughs> through the mask, I see the eyes. <laughs> I went through it twice because it didn't take the first time. Um, but the first, that's a story for another day. Um, but the, um, the first time that I heard this parable was in a confirmation class, and the pastor shared this story, and then he asked us the question, and it's one of those questions where there's not supposed to be a wrong answer, because it's like, what do you think? And so the pastor asked, you know, what do you think that this parable is about? And so, you know, there, nobody wanted to answer, because it was confirmation class, and nobody wanted to be there. We're all forced to be there. And so I raised my hand, and I said, well, I think it's about how you shouldn't be jealous of your brother. And the pastor was like, oh, okay, well, there are no wrong answers, but that's wrong. That's not what it's about. But, but that's what I understood at that time, because it's a story about two brothers, right? And I am one of two brothers. I have literally a younger brother, two sons in the household, and as an older brother, I know what it's like to feel jealous of my younger brother or covetous of the attention that he was receiving, right? Have you felt that way, siblings out there? <clears throat> maybe you've got a younger brother, maybe it's an older brother or a younger sister or older sister, whatever it is. Sometimes we human beings can feel jealous or covetous. Look at the attention that my sibling is getting. Look at the praise that they're receiving. Look at the gifts that they're being given. And we feel like, hmm, why aren't I getting that? Why aren't I feeling that way? And so when that pastor in confirmation class read us this story, that's what I took away from it. You shouldn't be jealous of your brother. About that same time that I was in confirmation class, so we're talking like sixth and seventh grade, um, I really wanted something back in those days. I really wanted a purple bike, okay? Don't worry about why it was the 90s and I was a weird kid, but I really wanted a purple bike. I had a bike, it was a hand-me-down, it was my dad's old bike and it was green, but I wanted a purple bike. And so I get home from school one day, and it was my brother's birthday, and so I was looking forward to celebrating my younger brother's birthday. 
And so I get home, and he's already home, and everybody's in the backyard, and guess what my brother got for his birthday? I'll give you one guess what he got for his birthday. A purple bike. Now, you can imagine as a mature older brother what my response was. I was just so happy for him and glad that he had... Yeah, right. Come on. Are you kidding me? This dude didn't even want this thing. I'm the one that learned a purple bike and you got him a purple bike. What's going on? Now, as an adult now and as a parent, I get it. I had a functioning bike. My brother did it. He got it for his birthday and it was just really a coincidence that it happened to be purple. But in that moment... I was outraged. This isn't fair. He doesn't deserve this. He doesn't even want this. If anybody deserves it, it's me. If anybody deserves it, it's me. Everybody participating in worship today. Everybody. We all know what it's like to covet, to want what somebody else has. Or to feel that sense of jealousy, right? And what's at that? What's the source of that feeling of jealousy? So often it's this sense that we deserve something that somebody else is receiving. Maybe it's a physical, tangible gift. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a compliment. Maybe it's praise, whatever it is. Somebody else is receiving something that we believe we deserve, right? We even have that phrase, must be nice, right? When we see somebody get something, oh, must be nice, nice for them, must be nice, right? Must be nice to be them and get what they get, right? If anybody deserves it, it's me. That's what's behind that so often, that sense of jealousy. That's what's behind it. I think I deserve something that somebody else is getting. So let's jump back into our story, our parable, Luke 15. So far, we've looked at this story from the perspective of the son and the perspective of the father. And so to recap this a bit, We have a father and these two sons, and the younger son says to his father, I'd rather you were dead and I was rich. I want my inheritance now. I value the reward I'm destined for more than I value my relationship with you. Father, give me my cut. Give me my share of my inheritance now so I can leave your house, stop living under your roof, stop living under your rules, and live the way that I want to. And the father, for some reason, says, okay, okay does some math, sells some property. This is a process that takes some time. And then he gives this younger son his share of the inheritance. And what does the younger son do? He does exactly what he wanted. He lives, and now he's got freedom to do what he wants. Lives life, he lives his life the way that he wants to, and he wastes that inheritance. He wastes that money on foolishness and wild living. But there is a turning point in this story where this younger son at rock bottom, where he's there and he's He's taking a job feeding pigs because it's the only place he could find work. And he's so hungry and he just wants to eat the slop that the pigs are eating. He's that desperate. And in that moment, he comes to his senses. How important this is. And I know I've been banging this drum for a couple weeks, but i got to bang this drum a little bit more. (laughs) Because this is so essential that in this moment, this younger son, he comes to his senses This is repentance. This is changing your mind. This is a realization. He realized just just how wrong he has been, just how foolish he has been, and he realizes some things about his father, just how good his father is. And he repents. He comes to his senses. He does not double down on his sin, which is what so many of us human beings do. 
we sin, we act foolishly, we, we, choose, we choose to willfully put ourselves outside of God's boundaries, we suffer the consequences, and we just dig in our heels. Instead of repenting, we say, well, you know what, I'm just going to try again, and it's my life, and I can do what I want, and if I'm suffering, that's fine, I'm just going to try harder. No, 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 this, he could have done that. This younger son comes to his senses, what have I done? What am I doing? And as he comes to his senses, he realizes something so important. He realizes just how good his father is. He decides he's going to go back to his father. I mean, this is quite literally the concept of repentance. To walk away from the father and to sin and to suffer and then to come to your senses and literally turn around and go back to the Father. I'm changing my course. I'm changing my life. I don't want to be this person anymore. I'm turning around back to my Father. And he starts rehearsing this speech. Here's what I'm going to say when I get home. Here's what I'm going to say when I see my Father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's right. As this young son has come to his senses, he has realized that he is not deserving. He is not worthy to be called a son of the Father. This is a huge, life-changing transformation. I'm not worthy. And so, he walks back home. While he was still a long way off, the father sees him. Why does the father see him? How does the father see him while he's still a long way off? Because the father was watching and waiting for the son to return. And when he sees the son a long way off, what does the father do? Does he sit there with his arms folded? Let's look, come on back, come on back. No. As soon as he sees that repentance, as soon as he sees that lost son, runs to him, embraces him. The son begins his speech, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get to finish his speech. He doesn't even get to request, can I come work for you? Would you consider hiring me? He does not get to finish that statement, that question, because the father embraces him. He says, you were, you were as good as dead, but now you're back. Now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. We've got to celebrate this. He puts a ring on his finger. You know that big old fat calf that we have that we've been saving for a special occasion? Today's the day. Let's have a party. You could say that the father in this story becomes a little bit prodigal in his spending at this point. Let's spend some money. we got to celebrate this. This son was gone, but now he's back. He's returned home. This requires a celebration. And that's where the story ends. Not quite. What about the big brother? What about big brother? Let's take a look. In Luke 15... Verse 25, party's going on in the house. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. What is he doing in the field? Working. That's why you're in a field, to work the land. He's working in the field. I mean, presumably his father said, go work in the field. He said, yes, Papa, and he went out and he's worked. This is an obedient son. So he's getting his hands dirty. He's getting his back all sore. He's working in the field. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. There was a DJ. There was lights going off. What's happening here? So he called one of the servants and asked them, what's, what's, what's going on? What's, what's happening here? Why is there a party? What's, this, what's, what's up with this? 
And so he's concerned what's going on. He's wondering what's happening here. Verse 27, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. And so, of course, the older brother is thrilled with this news. Oh, I'm so glad that my younger brother's back. I'm so glad that he's okay. We were so worried about him. (laughs) Not so much. He's outraged. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking about my brother? The one that straight up looked my father in the face and said, I'd rather you were dead and I was rich. I don't value my relationship with you. I want the reward, not the relationship. You're talking about that brother. He's come home, and now dad's throwing him a party? You have got to be kidding me. They killed the fattened calf. They put a robe on him. They gave him a purple bike. This isn't fair. This is not fair. And so what does he do? Hmm. Stays outside. The older brother became angry. Of course he did. This is human nature. This is, this is, this is, guys, this is us. This is who we are. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so the father, when he finds out, okay, my older son, he's out there and he's kind of like, you know, being grouchy about stuff. Just let him cool off. Just let him do what he's going to do. We're busy partying in here, right? No, when the father finds out, What does he do? The same thing he did with the younger son. He goes out to him. Well, let's wait till he cools off. Maybe he'll come in. Maybe he'll come to his senses eventually. No, 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 no. He goes out to him. All right? This is God. Father God. What's wrong? Going out to the old, extending compassion to both of his sons. Out. His father went out and did what? And pleaded with him. Listen, you're missing out. I understand that you're grouchy over this, but come on in. We're celebrating. He pleaded with him. But this son answered the father, look. I like that, by the way, in the NIV. Look, exclamation point. Look. Listen here, old man. Look. All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Never. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not not brother, not my brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Are you kidding me? If anybody deserved a party, if anybody deserved it, it's me. I've obeyed. If anybody deserves this outpouring of love and this celebration, hello, it's me. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me. This older son, he's focused on the celebration. He's focused on the praise or the reception that the brother is receiving. He's focused on the reward that his brother is enjoying at this very minute. But Father God turns this around and makes it about relationship. Son, you are always with me. You are always with me. 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. This brother of yours is, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We had to celebrate this. He's back. This is your brother. This is my son. And he was lost forever, as good as dead, but now he's come back. Son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. Can't we celebrate this together? Come on back in. Come on in and celebrate. Let's see. How does the older son respond to this? Wait a minute. I think I'm missing that part from my Bible. Do you have that in your Bible? How does the older son respond? Do you see that there? Because that's how Jesus ends the story. We don't know. Does the older son say, okay, you're right, Dad, and go in and celebrate? Or does he stay outside, sulking? These, <clears throat> these two sons have something in common. They both, at least at the beginning of the story, they both valued the reward over the relationship. They both valued that reward over the relationship. What's the difference? The younger son gets to a point where he comes to his senses and realizes that he is not worthy. Meanwhile, this older, obedient son who has never disobeyed and always follows his father's rules, this older son believes that he is deserving of the reward. And guess what? He's not. He's not. But I've been obedient. Listen, it's the Father's house. It's the Father's money. It's the Father's land. It's the Father's possessions. It all belongs to the Father. And that Father can extend those blessings, those gifts, those rewards to whomever He chooses. It's not the older sons. He's not entitled to it. And so here is this older son feeling like, listen, Dad, you've already given him his share of the inheritance, and anything, you more, you, anything more you spend on him is from my inheritance. I deserve this. No, son. No, you're always, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Will this older son now come to his senses and repent and realize that it was never about obedience? This was always a gift extended from the Father. So often we struggle with that. This, this issue of feeling like we are somehow deserving of something that other people are not. And unfortunately, this this older brother mentality, this Pharisee-type attitude, it exists in a lot of our churches. Now listen, we Christians, sometimes we know the right things to say, and we can take this attitude when it comes to salvation, right? And we can articulate things in the right way and speak the words correctly, and we can say that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, and we can't earn heaven for ourselves, and we're not worthy of the love of God, but He has extended His love anyway. And in His grace, He sent His Son into this world. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that's the only, listen, that's the only way that I can be saved. It's not about me and what I've done. It's about what Jesus has done for me. 
It's only by God's grace and through God's love and through Christ's sacrificial suffering and death that I can receive eternal life. We say the right things. But then inside of our hearts, sometimes there's a shift that takes place. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not deserving. But I'm more deserving than that person. (laughs) And slip into our hearts of so many Christians. Listen, I know, I know it's all about what Jesus did for me, but but if we're gonna play the comparison game, I mean you look at my life and you look at his life, and yeah, I mean no, I know, I know, I know it's not about what, what I've earned, and I know it's not about what I deserve, but but listen, I'm just better at being a Christian than that person. I just am. You know, I know the Bible better than that person. I'm more obedient than that person. I understand the heart of God better than that person. No, I know, I know, I know. I know none of us, none of us are worthy of God's love. None of us are worthy. It's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. But, but you see how that ugliness can slip into our hearts and into our lives. And in humility, we need to realize that regardless of how obedient we are, regardless of our good works, how well we know the Bible, how well we know the heart of God, regardless of all of that, we are not worthy. It was never about our worthiness. It was always about God's love for us. All of us, older brothers and younger brothers, have this in common. None of us, none of us are worthy. And thank God, it's never about that. (laughs) It was never about that. It was always about God's love for us. There's an experience that just about all of us have had, and if you have not had this experience, then that's great. I hope you never do. But whether you're a Christian or not, it's very likely that you have had an encounter with someone who had an older brother, Pharisee-type attitude. It's likely that you've had an encounter with a Christian who made you feel less than in some way, who made you feel less worthy of Jesus' time. I mean, that's exactly what was happening in Luke 15. He had these Pharisees taking this issue. What is he doing spending? What is Jesus doing spending his time with these people? They're not worth his time. I mean, we're the good guys. If God sent somebody into the world, he should be spending his time with us. This is an almost universal experience. Whether you're a Christian or not, you've had an experience with a Christian who has made you feel less than. It's, it's a, it's, it hurts. What do you mean? I'm not good enough for Jesus? What are you trying to say? I'm not a real Christian and you are? I mean, I've, listen, I don't want to ask you to raise your hand, but I've had that experience where I've been made to feel like I'm not good enough, that this person's more worthy of Jesus than I am. And I just want to speak to you again, whether you're a Christian or not. If you've had that experience with someone who's made you feel less than, I want to encourage you for your own sake to forgive that older brother. Forgive that person who made you feel that way. And it's not about whether or not they've apologized. It's not about whether or not they deserve your forgiveness. I just want to encourage you for your own sake to forgive that person. Listen, here's something about human nature. And it's not just Christians. It's all of us, human beings. We are prone. You ready for this? We are prone to self-righteousness. We just are. Okay? That's, that's, that's the sin nature in us. That's human nature. We are prone to being self-righteous. We are prone to feeling superior to other people. We are prone to playing the comparison game. Well, I'm better than that person. And so if you've had an experience with a Christian who's made you feel less than, I want to encourage you. Extend compassion towards that person. 
Just forgive them. It's human nature. And I'm sorry they treated you that way. But for your own sake, just let it go. And most importantly, realize that that Pharisee you spoke with, that older brother you spoke with, listen, they were not representing the heart of God when they had that encounter with you. Just know that. Just know that. This is who God is. The loving Father that's quick to forgive where there is repentance. That's quick to restore where there is repentance. And so if you've had, please, if you've had that experience with an older brother Pharisee type, just make that decision to forgive. And no, that's not God. I mean, goodness gracious, have compassion for us, us Christians. Here we are living in this world, trying to represent the love of God. It's just, come on, we're broken. We're works in progress. We don't have the opportunity to get all, everything all figured out and become super Christ-like and then enter into this world. No, it's all in progress, so forgive us. And listen, Christians, let me talk to just the Christians now. And go back. And you can ask yourself the question, have I ever been a big brother? Have I ever made somebody else feel less deserving of Jesus? Have I ever had that Pharisee-type attitude? You could ask yourself that question, but I think there's a better question to ask. The question is, how have I been a big brother? How have I been a Pharisee? When did I ever make someone else feel less deserving of Christ? When have I done that? Because chances are, again, in our human nature, in our tendency to be self-righteous, we've probably all made mistakes in that direction. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you feel like you've done that, and you had the best intentions, and you had the best heart, but if you feel like in your human nature you slipped into Pharisee mode with someone, go and make things right. Go and apologize. Go and ask for forgiveness. Go and say, listen, I'm a, I'm a flawed human being, and I'm doing my best, and if I made you feel less than I'm sorry, do what you can to restore that relationship. And here's, here's something I, I need everybody to know. Okay? Whether you're a member of this church or not, whether you're a Christian or not, if anybody connected with Hope Community Church, if anybody who's a member of this church ever made you feel less than, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we failed you. We're human beings. We're doing our best, but we make mistakes. I am sorry. And let me make this super, super personal right now. If I have ever said or done anything that has caused you to feel less worthy of Christ's love, I'm sorry. That was not my intention. One of the saddest experiences that Holly and I ever had when we first started Hope, we had an encounter with someone, and he was saying, oh, you don't want people like me at your church. And we thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, how many people out there feel unworthy, undeserving of Christ's love. How many people feel like, well, you don't want people like me at your church. Are you kidding me? That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Listen, if you've had an encounter with someone from Hope, if you've had an encounter with a Christian who made you feel less than, just know that's not God's heart. He loves you as much as anybody else. It's not about what you've done. It's not about your worthiness. God loves you. Regardless of your past, God loves you and wants to see restoration and wants to see you return. God loves you. Don't let us Christians get in the way of you being able to receive love from your heavenly Father. He loves 
you regardless, regardless of your past. And all that's required for restoration is that oh-so-important repentance. That's it. Everyone, everyone who comes to their senses, everyone who returns to the Father, everyone that receives Christ as Savior, regardless of their past, everyone who repents can and will be restored back into the Father's house. This, this is our Father, the God that loves us so much that He held nothing back from us. The God that sent His one and only Son into this world to die on the cross, not just for the obedient people, not just for the older brothers, but for all people. And this Father, God, loves you. And if you feel like you're far from God, just know that when you return home, there's going to be a celebration. Let's pray on that. Father, we thank you for you. We thank you for your great love for us. And we're just so thankful that it's not about what we deserve. It's not about trying to earn something, but it's just about your love. It's just about your heart. Jesus, we thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for dying on that cross in our place. We thank you for paying back the debt that we owe to Father God. Father God, I thank you for all of us who have had that opportunity to repent, to return home. And Lord, we just lift up prayers for all of those right now who are living like prodigals, who are far from you. We just pray that they would come to their senses that they would see you, Father, for who you are, a loving Father that's quick to forgive, quick to restore where there is repentance. Father, I pray for all of us Christians participating in worship right now, all of us who have these tendencies to slip into older brother mentality, to slip into Pharisee mentality, we just pray that you would free us from that, ground us in humility, and remind us that it's not about what we deserve, it's about what you have done for us. It's all about your love, Father God. Lord Jesus Christ, as your church here in Delaware County, we pray that you would allow us to incarnate your love and share your gospel with everyone in this community. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.